So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. And welcome back. The podcast is rolling. Ted and Yogi's Pack 12 Adventure alongside Ted Robinson, my broadcast partner, friend, a guy I consider family. Same with Michael Molinari, our producer. We hit the road every week and every Monday we try to bring you 30 minutes of Pac-12 insight, outlooks, look-aheads, etc. And fellas, we got a lot to talk about this weekend. I'm curious before we get going into our four downs, what's your general takeaway from the final overall non-conference week in the Pac-12? Well, you know, guys, I, I thought it was tough Look, the national perception of the conference, again, takes a little bit of a hit because of high-profile games, USC, Stanford. Uh, we saw that. Arizona State did the great one. They won a high-profile game, and kudos to them, and so did Washington State. But I think the other thing that comes out is I really get uneasy. I don't know how you guys feel about this. When so much of the conversation is about officiating, and this was a tough week because all 12 schools played non-conference games. And so that means your officiating crews really get stretched thin. So in a normal week, the conference has to have four or five crews. I don't know how many this past weekend. I don't know if you guys know the exact number, but it was probably out of 12 games, they probably had nine or 10 crews that were Pac-12 responsible. And as a result, you end up getting way too much conversation about that. And that, that to me, is distressing. And I'll say this. I'll, I'll say this. I'm going to jump the gun here. I give credit to the Pac-12. They admitted the missed call on the very last play of the Arizona State-Michigan State game. And we all know this is a fallout from what happened last year. But they've upheld the promise of transparency, right? The Pac-12 admitted that that crew missed that call. I'm still waiting to hear from the Big Ten on the shameless call that knocked K.J. Costello out of a conference game and the Big Ten. So Coach D'Antonio, I understand his frustration in the moment. But take a step back. Your own conference still has not admitted the culpability of not making that call. Well said. Michael, what do you got overall? Well, you wake up Sunday morning in L.A. and you open the sports section and, as Ted said, high profile. It was unflattering uh, reports on SC and UCLA, to say the least, reading those articles in the morning. But then later on, Pac-12, six teams in the top 25 and I think that's a positive spin for this conference and you know maybe not the teams you expected but we have an incredibly balanced conference and i'm really looking forward to conference play yeah really well said all right so my big takeaway was off the field because we finish our game at husky stadium hawaii u-dub michael and i are racing to the airport <laughs> and we're walking he's like i'm not gonna run i'm gonna walk and ted you'll appreciate this being an east coast guy he busted out the new york city walk this was not the socal walk i was <laughs> running to try to keep up with michael's walk to barely make our plane that eventually got delayed by about 90 minutes but i was most impressed probably with michael's stride and skill set of walking i miss my like calling as a race walker <laughs> the syracuse stroll is that what we call that michael <laughs> yeah did you come out of grimaldi's like that in your college years? <laughs> perhaps a little wobble but uh still the <laughs> Same speed. <laughs> hey, and you know, here's, here's something before we start the four downs. Let, let's talk about this for a second. We have seen firsthand Washington two out of the first three weeks. So let's, let's give a little quick report card because this is one of the 
top teams in our conference. We've seen that twice, albeit teams that they really overmatched in both of the games that we saw. I think Washington, they're not going to run away with the North, but I'm a little bit more upbeat on their reloading, as they would say, not rebuilding, reloading. I'm a little bit more upbeat on that after seeing them firsthand twice. And I think that defensive secondary, we saw them do a pretty good job of, of, of slowing down what had been a very effective Hawaii pass offense for two weeks. Couldn't agree more. I think the way that they changed the picture, right? They've been doing it to Washington State in the air raid, you know, over the last couple of years. Chris Peterson has not lost to them. We saw it against the run and shoot. And I think they're non-con games. And then they get a BYU team on the road, which, you know, fundamentally could be in like the Pac-12 just for the month of September every year because they have so many Pac-12 games. But they face now another Pac-12 team. And I think them beating SC, UW going on the road, I think they're in prime position to have the month of September, like Utah in the Pac-12 South, but basically the whole month, other than that Cal game, I get it, but to, to get right. And I do think coming out, they would be my favorite if you said right now, what team would you pick in the Pac-12 North to represent that Ooh, side of the division? Wow. The other thing that we saw Saturday that if this continues, could he, he could be one of the breakout players in the conference this year's Hunter Bryant. And you know the skill set he has. Well, they used him on Saturday. How'd it look to you from the truck? Well, they told us at the meetings Friday, Hunter Bryan was going to be more involved. So we were, we were ready for that. And it's nice when your plan comes together because every time he caught a ball, we had a camera on him. He looked great. The other, the other Bryant on the other side of the field, I thought dominated the game defensively. Miles Bryant, those two picks and a sack. And, but that was the other thing they told us. We're dying for a takeaway. And they got a bunch on Saturday. So I thought a really good bounce back for a Washington team. You weren't sure how they can react. The disappointing loss to Cal in odd circumstances, but they were ready to go. Yeah, agreed. All right, so four downs. We're going to rip through these. The first of four downs, Michael referenced it, six teams in the top 25. And I still think Utah's getting absolutely hosed. They should be a top 10 team. They're still behind Florida, which they've lost their quarterback for presumably the season. So uh, they'll, they'll make their way into that with a win this week. On a Friday against SC, we'll get into that one here in a little while. But you look at Utah 10, Oregon at 16, you know, and now they get going, going to the farm for that one. They struggled on the road last year, really the last couple years, so how do they handle that? Wazoo, there's an argument for them that they're one of the best teams in the North, let alone this conference. And then UW, as we talked about, and ASU and Cal. We did not reference, fellas, USC UCLA, I don't think if you said to any of us before the season, there's a world where there's six teams in the top 25 and none of them are from L.A., <laughs> we would say, yes, Ted, would you agree? Look, I, I was frustrated, and this goes back to where Michael started. Maybe I was as guilty as anybody, but USC, the perhaps the way they beat Stanford with Slovis coming in his first game, there was an over-expectation because I'm, like Michael, I'm, I'm looking at the reaction in Los Angeles Sunday USC lost at BYU in overtime, okay? That's not a Division III school. That's not a horrible loss. It's a game USC thinks they should win. We know that. But you would have thought that this program just crashed. I Personally, I did not understand the overreaction to that. Totally with you. I, thought it was, I just watched the tape back last night and this morning, and you watch that game, SC is moving the ball. They're playing well. They're freshmen, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to put it on a player, but... He makes three tough decisions, you know, questionable decisions at best, 
where there's there's a turnover and they're driving. I mean, they're rolling down the field. This this could be a walk away. It could be 21 nil to kick off this ball game. So I think to hear the criticism when we all know the reality of a true freshman, to me is just characteristically what we see a lot of times when the media wants to paint a picture in the preseason about a coach and a program, which is what's happened around USC. But to me, I don't think it's the truth of, of this team and how this went down, even in OT. It's a freshman on the road. We saw Josh Rosen do it five years ago at BYU, threw a bunch of picks in a close game. Cause saw Keaton Slovis throw a bunch of picks in a close thing. They just lost that one. And overall, it was a true freshman to me. Two plays, poor situational awareness, both of them late in the ball game. And I, I don't, you know, you got to stand on your record. I get that for Clay Helton. But it wasn't a lack of effort. It wasn't a lack of discipline. It wasn't a lack of scheme. To me, it was just some you know, decisions that cost this team this ballgame that a young guy is going to make. So uh, I'm with you, Ted. I don't think it should be overblown like it is in the L.A. Times, at least. And I think on the rankings, the team had jumped in as Arizona State this week, and we all know Washington State's been in. But I thought that was their big takeaway this weekend because those two teams both played their first legit games. They had won a couple of pretty much easy home games. But they both went on the road. They played good teams, a you know, tremendous Big Ten win for Arizona State, and a Houston team that, that is not bad for Washington State. But to me, that was the fact that Arizona State at least was recognized was, was good. And to me, that's confirmation. We'll see ASU coming up this weekend in their first conference game. But they won a legit game in that atmosphere. And I loved Herm Edwards after the game because this is why we love him so much. And I think it's the pro experience of his career. He goes, look, we're not going to win a lot of games 10 to 7. we got to get some offense going. I love that because that's, that's, it's straight, it's honest, without being critical. Yeah. Okay, so, Michael, let, let's get to second down and hear your take because I think this is amazing. Arizona State, we have Colorado. I want to look back before we look at this ball game we're going to. Take us inside the truck because this one was – was kind of crazy over the last few snaps of the ball game. For those that do not know or maybe hadn't watched it, go check out the end of it on YouTube if you can. But Arizona State is playing at Michigan State, as Ted referenced. Michigan State lines up to kick the field goal. They make the field goal. There's a really late flag. And then pandemonium, I, I would imagine, ensues from the truck to the replay booth to the officials on the field. Curious your thoughts and take us inside that. Well, it was interesting I didn't get to see it live because we were just going on the air. I was kind of hearing reports from people who had the score in front of them. But um, when I watched it back yesterday, the thing that happens, and I would have assumed the same thing, initially they thought it was a celebration penalty on Arizona State and it was going to be assessed on the kickoff. And that narrative began to go. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, it might be 12 men on the field. So. It's funny, the announcers said it on the air, and the same thing I said, you go to the All-22, which is the camera that shoots all the players on the field, and you always have that look, so that's what they put up, and they counted them up, and 12 guys were out there for Michigan State, so they kicked again. I mean, they got that one right, and it was interesting. The officials on the field said, uh, no penalty, but we'll review it, and then the review booth got it right, which is what the review booth is supposed to do fix egregious errors that are missed. Yeah, amen. And, and for prospective announcers listening, that's another example of announcing 101. You don't speculate and you don't guess, right? <laughs> yeah. Let them take the call because the, the announcers were sending you, sending all of us, I'm watching the replay, they're sending us all down about four or five roads that were wrong. 
clearly, it, look, it was it was frustrating that the crew on the field says they think they have 12, but then they say, now we really don't have 12. And thankfully, this is exactly as Michael said, right? This is what replay is supposed to do. That's supposed to fix that error. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Okay, so then that drama happens. They count the 12 guys, give them another snap at it, right? And here we go again, tie the ball game. And what when I watched this one, it was interesting because I went back and watched the first field goal attempt, and ASU lined up in a formation where they just were really heavy on the defense's left side and tried to rush the kicker and try to get to the kicker's right side of his, you know, his right side because that's where he's kicking the ball. The next time they attempted, they went with a push up the middle and Cam Phillips, number 15, leaps. Now, the rule is, is really interesting because there's nuances, and we'll be able to talk about this in our game this weekend, but fundamentally, it is a foul if a defensive player moves forward and tries to block the kick or a parent kick and a field goal by leaping his feet or leaping into the plane directly above the frame of the body of the opponent. When you watch it and watch number 15, guys, to me, he ran up and I think he tried to slow himself down so he was stationary, but he was still moving just a little bit and then leapt in between the center and the guard, but eventually enough over the center where uh, that's where I believe they thought the penalty occurred. David Coleman of the Pac-12 came out with that one. I'm curious if, if you saw that one in real time. And Michael, what is that process like when, when people look at that one in the booth? I did not see it in real time, to be honest. But when once I knew that that was what they said they missed, then I watched it and it seemed obvious, which I think is probably a lesson for all of us that don't always jump on officials and anybody else because it, it, to me it wasn't, it just didn't seem that obvious watching it. But more importantly, I don't think it affected the play. And I think sometimes officials have to say, is this affecting the play, not just did it violate the rule where, let's say, a, a pick off the ball that has nothing to do with the throw, you know, maybe that doesn't necessarily need to be called for instance. If, you're not, if there's not a flag, usually in the truck we're not searching for penalties that happened that weren't called, with the exception of pass interference. And there's other plays that it seems pretty obvious. But to me, I didn't feel that that was obvious watching it real time. And I did. And I'm also biased because I get a chance to watch these videos every week. We get inundated. I think I share some with Yogi that uh, these very smart people, Pereira and Blandino, put out. And it is a point of, that, of uh, emphasis over the last year plus in both college football and the NFL is this exact rule, is the leaping rule. It's, and it's all connected to player safety. And it's supposed to be protecting especially the snapper, who isn't a defenseless player on scrimmage kicks. And that was obvious. I mean, he didn't see, he had to be stopped, and it has to be almost like snapping the ball on offense. You're right, you have to be stopped for a full beat if you're in motion before the snap of the ball. That's the same concept in this rule. And 15 wasn't, and I don't understand. I mean, the officiating crew is going to have to answer to their supervisors on this because they are, they are instructed to watch that. How they didn't is the question that is sure frustrates everybody. And then let's rewind one play. So as... Difficult as that is for Michigan State, as tough as it was for the Pac-12 to admit the error, Michigan State made the kick. They made the kick, and they had 12 guys on the field. Yeah, That's on that. Yeah, I don't want to be the special teams coordinator listening <laughs> to Mark D'Antonio on the headset. And Urban Meyer, to his credit, you guys, on the postgame, Urban Meyer said it. He said, yeah, you know, you need to make that call on the field. Well, one more thing on that. You guys always ask what goes on the truck. If you or Ted had seen that, 
and you would have told me, people don't know, but you can talk to me in the truck without being heard on the air, we call it talkback, you would have helped us out and we would have definitely shown it. So it's kind of a team effort in that situation too. It's not just us in the truck. A lot of times the announcers find stuff and let us know and we put it on the air. So I hope we would have caught that. Um, and it sounds like we would have because Ted was all over it. <laughs> He's always all yeah. over it. Well, I mean, you know my relationship with targeting. <laughs> yes. all over that too. Hey, and, and that's the difference was we, we had a couple of targeting calls in our game at Washington. I don't have any idea. And I just, I'm being squared here. I won't talk about targeting anymore because I don't understand it. I don't know how they try to make these rules. It goes all the way back to the Costello play at Stanford. Um, th this leaping rule to me, that's pretty crystal clear. And I, I don't see that there's any gray area on that rule. Yeah, well, speaking of leaping, uh, we're going to be leaping into the game plan and watching LaVisca Chenault this weekend, fellas. I think he's the best player in the entire Pac-12 conference. He's going up against one of the up-and-coming defenses in all of college football. We saw that as we referenced in the Michigan State game. You look at the scheme that Danny Gonzalez has. I can't wait to watch this secondary with a lot of players. They, ro they roll guys through like it's ice hockey at times. I can't wait to watch how they scheme up number two for Colorado because he'll line up all over the field. We get it Saturday night. It, I, I imagine it's going to be sold out. It, th this place should be rocking with an undefeated top 25 team coming home to Tempe, man. For us, our first conference game, I, I don't know about you guys. I, I can't wait. Yo, you probably know a little bit more about this guy. We're going to see him live for the first time. And he, he shined a little bit on Saturday for ICU as Jack Jones, mm -hmm. corner transferred from USC, blinding speed. So would he be at a point where – Herm Edwards and Danny Gonzalez would say, you run with Chenault. Do they have a guy that they just run with Chenault wherever he goes on the field? Well, they, they haven't had to, to do that yet this year, just based on the opponent. I can't wait to watch. Now, they've got great confidence. Kobe Williams is a team captain. He's a corner for them, very quiet young man, but they love his ability to play. Jack Jones, Jack Jack is what he goes by, was as good as you can come coming out of high school in Southern California. Went to SC, played in the Rose Bowl, and when we were there in training camp and there for the first game of the year, Herm Edwards, Danny Gonzalez, the defensive coordinator, both said the same thing. They said he brings a little bit of bark to our defense, a little bit of an edge. You know, they're so young or they're quiet, like I referenced with Kobe Williams. This guy's got the... I hate to use the word, the word swagger, but the confidence that I think can ooze to the rest of the players. And Herb Edwards has said it many times that players, for the most part, you deserve a second chance. You don't always deserve a third and a fourth, and, and he's not going to give them that. So this guy's on a very short leash in terms of what he did off the field to get in trouble and not be at USC anymore. And I think we're watching a guy blossom given a second opportunity, which we've seen that before around this conference at Colorado. We've seen it at Utah a bunch. We're seeing it here at ASU, and he's going to come confident. And LaVisca Chenault's going to come confident, too. So I, I hope they do that. We'll find that out Friday in our meeting. Uh, they haven't done it historically. Usually it's just field, boundary. You know, their safeties take one side of the field, the other side of the field. But they'll, they're going to have something special because they line up LaVisca Chenault in the Wildcat wherever and if you watch any of their last two games every time it's mattered whether it's ot against air force overtime against nebraska lavisca chanel everything was going through him with the game on the line so it's going to be a it'll be a fun game plan to kind of see how it shakes out but to your point it's, it's definitely a matchup you want to pay attention to yeah and i think this is a really big week for colorado because you you kind of do and this gets into something guys scheduling big part of this conference and people don't want to talk about scheduling and I, I always admire when I was around pro football 
Nobody ever complains about scheduling. But in college, you hear it a lot. So this past week, you had two schools. You had Stanford, to me, had a schedule loss. We're having to go down to play at UCF, coming off USC, no, not just a conference game, but a huge rivalry game, a big emotional game for Stanford. And then you had Colorado playing two emotional games to start the year, Colorado State and Nebraska, and then have to play Air Force at home, which is a tough call no matter when you play Air Force, but to have them play like that. And that's not a scheduled loss as much as it's just a challenging game. And we saw that Colorado didn't play. Montez did not have the kind of game he wanted. Colorado's defense didn't against Air Force's you know, unique offense. And now for Colorado, guys, this has to be the, what they need. Hey, here's a conference game and a chance to jump right back into the limelight. Hey, if you can go down to Arizona State and hand them their first loss. Yes, couldn't, couldn't agree more. I think I, th- I was hoping we get two top 25 teams. Clearly, they only have one. But Mel Tucker, and we'll talk about it on the broadcast, you'll see the wristband. We'll show it in the game. It's relentless. That's the phrase within his program. So how do they relentlessly get back to work to play a team that also plays with incredible effort? I think we're going to have a fun one in the desert. Now, scheduling, Ted, you referenced, which brings us to our third of four downs. Friday night in L.A., is not good for anything because there's traffic like crazy. And now you got SC coming off a loss at BYU. The narrative down here, as Michael referenced, isn't the greatest. And the best team in the conference comes in a Friday night, Utah. They don't have a turnover. I think they only have one penalty on the season, if my numbers are right, coming out of the game. Into USC, where they haven't won yet. Michael, I'm curious for you, a Friday night in L.A., what are you looking forward to see? If you were going to produce this ball game, how, how would you open this ball game? What would be the talking points around these two teams? Well, first of all, it, there was a great article in The Athletic yesterday. Utah does have a win in L.A. It was 1916. There it is. Fiesta Park, which preceded the Coliseum. So you keep reading, they, uh, they've never won at the Coliseum, which is true. But they did take a train and uh, win 27-12 back in 1916 in Fiesta Park. Also, an interesting note about the game, 2011, it was a stunner. Utah had a field goal to tie blocked, and SC ran the ball back for a touchdown, but they uh, threw a flag for celebration on the play, and in 2011, celebration was supposed to actually stop a a score from counting, Mm -hmm. and you'd have a penalty there. So for about two hours, the final was 17-14, and then at the end of two hours, they reviewed it, and they made it 23-14. USC one, which mattered to some people. Uh, we'll just say that. <laughs> I was with you for that game, Michael. Yes, and I remember yes. we, we understand that in Nevada, they were not happy with that interpretation. <laughs> so anyway, those, those are two things that jump out at me. But I would say, to answer your question, is Utah going to prove themselves as the, the favorite of the conference? And this is what they have to do. I'm sure they've had it circled on their calendar since the schedule came out. They knew this was going to be a huge game. And frankly, everybody for SC, this is a game where if this game goes south, it's, you know, the pressure is just going to mount. What do you think, Yoke? Does, does Utah just come out and run a heavy dose of Zach Moss right at USC? I think they have to. You know, you go back and you watch SC-BYU, the one area where they struggled was opposite of Drake Jackson, which is where Christian Rector plays the edge on the defensive front. And they, they struggled with that side of the field in the run game. If I'm Utah, I am saying, we are the most physical team on the field. They're going to be the freshest team on the field. And they're going to you know, try to prove to be the most efficient team on the field. 
offensively. You know, Tyler Huntley hasn't been asked to do much, but he's ex been extremely efficient. I think he's over 75% completion percentage on the year, which I think is huge. Uh, their receivers have played well. Zach Moss has played well. And the defense is the best defense USC will face all season long with a front that I think would get after a fifth-year senior. And it's the first time Keaton Slovis is going to see a real defensive front in real live action. So they're going to have to get the ball out of his hands. Uh, I think they do. I think they'll move the ball at times because their, their receivers are talented. But when I look at Julian Blackman in the back end, Ted, I look at Jalen Johnson, who I was with a scout pre uh, our game last week, and we were talking Paul Sinadibo, and he goes, the guy I love the most in this conference is Jalen Johnson. And, and I get why at a, the cornerback position, number one. So this game has all the drama, all the hype, but I still say this, that Utah is on schedule in terms of they're not playing over their skis. They're not playing better than we anticipated. They're doing exactly what this program should do. So I think they come in very workmanlike and put together a heck of a game, and SC will have a chance if they can create explosive plays, get, some, get a turnover against Tyler Huntley, force him to make intermediate to deep completions down the field, which he hasn't done yet this year, hasn't been asked to do yet this year, and I think it's a fair element to say that's a question mark within his skill set. Can he go do that when he needs to with the game on the line? We haven't seen it yet, so that's what I would be looking in this ball game. both quarterbacks having to prove against different elements that they can arrive and play well on the stage. Yeah. Hey, should we jump into our fourth down? Let's get it. One thing, because, again, we're in a conference that's renowned for its history with quarterbacks, receivers, offense, passing, and I'm focusing in September on who's playing defense. Arizona played some defense for the first time Saturday night against Texas Tech and another former Pac player in Armand Shine. That was nice to see. Now, maybe we save Arizona a little bit because they have this week off. But Cal backed up its Washington win, albeit at home against North Texas. But now Cal goes to Ole Miss, one more non-con game, with a bizarre connection that you po Yogi pointed this out to me Saturday, and I didn't even realize Rich Rod is at Ole Miss. I knew Mike McIntyre was there on the defensive side, Rich Rod on the other side. But Justin Wilcox travels, takes his team down there, they seemed yoked to lean again on the run game to beat North Texas. Jumped out early, got a lead, and kind of held it and trusted their D. Can Cal be a long-term North contender playing that way? I think they can playing that way, but I don't think they can with their personnel issues right now. So they've lost two offensive linemen for the season. Another one's banged up. Chris Brown left the game, injured their star running back. And they lost four line, outside linebackers in the game. Not that they're not going to be back for this ball game, but I think that they're the team that they've got to be healthy. So to be in the top 25 with what they've dealt with, but overall, I think for them, if they're healthy, they can contend that way. But they got to get more from Chase Garber. So here's a stat for you you'll appreciate. Mm -hmm. They called 41 passes last week, and they only attempted 22. You know, So <laughs> that's sack, that's you know, defense collapsing the pocket, forcing Garbers to run, you know, eating it because he didn't want a negative play. Like those types of things, to me, you can't necessarily do and, take, and win the North. Now, they could take a run at it. They already have a game advantage over who I said was the best team, I think, in the North in UW. So um, no disrespect there. But they've got the tools. They've got the defense. They, they need to make some more hay offensively because they're running into some of the production issues they had a year ago. Not the turnovers, but production. Wow, that's it. I didn't realize that 41 and only 22 thrown. That's crazy. It's an amazing number. Yeah, and that's so that I would wonder, as I don't know, Yogan, as soon as you said that number, the first thing I thought of was Arizona State and Jaden Daniels. 
because Jane Daniels won that game at Michigan State with his legs. Yeah. Right. One one deep throw to Ayuk on the last drive, but beyond that, he kept getting out and did an amazing job of hurting with his legs. Yeah. Chase Garber's probably not at that level, is he? No, you're you're right, and and he's trying, and I'm excited. You know, guys get to a place in their career where they just say, "I'm going to cut it loose," and I'm excited to watch Chase Garbers get to that place because he's he's played a season and a quarter now. You know, it's crazy to say we're a fourth of the way through the season, and he's going to have to do this on the road. You know, you're going to watch. You reference Mike McIntyre. To me, an interesting element is that both of the coordinators at Ole Miss guys won the Pac-12 South, and they weren't at (laughs) USC or UCLA. You know, so. The coaching is going to be challenging. Matt Corral will move the ball in Rich Rodriguez's system. He, he might throw four touchdowns. He might throw four picks. He's got that capability. So I think the Cal defense shows up. But I do think they've got to score three touchdowns in this ball game on the road. It's going to be an awesome environment for them. But I'm not shocked uh, that they are where they are. But for them to take a run, they've got to keep elevating. All right, so what do we think of the Cougs? We had a chance to watch Friday night in Seattle. We were watching with some Husky fans who clearly were rooting for Houston. I was a little taken by that. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, that's nice. And watching the game, as we did, the thing that I thought was impressive was they were better in the second half, Washington State. Well, I I don't know what you think, Michael, but for me, and Coach Leach said it after the game, he goes, I wish we could play two more quarters because we were really getting going towards the end of that ball game, the second half, as you referenced. And a team picked fourth in the north. A team that's all they've done is beat Oregon the last four years, I believe, beat Stanford the last three years. I like their defense. I like Willie Taylor and company. I like this defensive front, Ted. I love what they do offensively, of course, but I think they are a legitimate threat in the Pac-12 North. Michael, what's your take on the Cougs? Well, first of all, I think they had to be inspired by Gardner Minshew's outfit he wore off the plane. Um, It was one of the all-timers. But the Cougs, I keep going back to, the, the offense is so simple, yet so difficult to defend. And and that's why you can keep plugging guys in and you go from Gardner to Gordon and it just it just keeps rolling along. So I think I think they're finally they've got a little bit of defense. They've got it seems like they have a bunch of confidence and swagger just watching them. That's what I noticed watching the game. I really think I don't know, this might be their year. Uh, well said. Okay, so right before we get to the humanity moment, Ted, to put a bow on the defensive thought, this is probably my favorite stat in college football. Okay, with the exception of the first year of the playoff. No team has won the national title without leading the nation in at least one of the following defensive categories. Sacks, tackles for loss, or yards allowed per rush. Mm -hmm. And I just think you look at Utah the last five years in the Power Five, they're first in takeaways, fourth in sacks, seventh in rush yards allowed. They're built that way. Wazoo's done a really nice job building that front. UW, they'll get there leading the Pac-12 in defense over the last four years. Um, so I think you're right. Like we love the sexiness of offense, but defense, even in overall college football, that is the thing that eventually gets you to win a national title. And Yogi, that's a great call. And to wrap up from my end on the North, that leads me back to where we started with what we saw with UW. And sadly for this team, what we've seen Stanford and we know Stanford's beat up. They've had two really tough injuries on their offensive line. Of course, Costello missed a game and a half, but to give up as many points as they have in the last game and a half is staggering. And Lance Anderson runs too proud of defense for too long there. That, to me, is the major tell that this may be the first time in a while where we see, and I'm, I'm emphasizing may, but the, the sign is clearly not what we would expect to have Stanford really be a contender in the North. 
Yeah, and how about, you know, how fun is the Pac-12? Would even talk about Oregon going to Stanford, one of the, you know, one of the best games you could argue the last decade is that rivalry and how that game shakes out. So bounce back. I'm pumped for that. All right, Michael, what is the humanity moment of the week? We love it when you go there, full producer mode, the story the, about this game that lit you up the most. My favorite humanity story didn't have anything to do with our game this week. It was that great story of the fourth grader who made a homemade Tennessee shirt, went into class and was bullied, and his teacher got the attention on social media of Tennessee themselves. They made a great move. They reproduced the T-shirt. They've sold over 50,000, um, going to stomp out bullying all the proceeds. And in fact, a few days later, decided to offer the young man a scholarship in 2028 if he makes the grades, which I think is awesome. But I really want to give a shout out to his teacher, Laura Snyder, who used social media as a tool to help stop bullying, something that social media has been far too often accused of encouraging and facilitating bullying. So that story got out there. My two young daughters, fifth grade, 10th grade, both saw the story, came to me and asked me if I saw it. I said, yeah, we covered it in our show the other night. And uh, it made me think, you know, as parents, one way to stop bullying is to make kids think it's unkind to bully. But this week, we made people think it's uncool to bully. And I think that goes a lot further with the young kids out there, and hopefully it'll make a big difference. Good call. That's well said. And well, listen, if Kate and Isabella can register with this, now we know. You know that means something. And I, I work with someone in tennis, a, a top tennis player who's, confront, who's uh, taken on that same fight in tennis, which is the cyberbullying fight. And that's awesome. So more power to them. I love that. And uh, it is uh, Suicide Prevention Month and Awareness Month. So we'll make sure we put the number in the show notes that you can call if uh, you're being bullied, you're feeling bummed, anything going on in your life, knowing that everybody uh, has somebody to listen to if, if you need it. And echoing Michael and Ted, mad props there. So Fellas, that's going to do it from here. We, we played on the theme of overtime because we had two overtime games, so we a little bit more than 30 minutes for the listeners. But, you know, we're going to follow along the trends in the Pac-12 conference. And uh, I can't believe it's a fourth of the way through the season, fellas. And I can't wait to get to Tempe for our game this Saturday. Thanks again for another Fear the week. fork, huh? Mm-hmm. See you in the desert. I love it. All right. For Ted Robinson, Michael Molinari, I'm Yogi Roth. This is Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. 30 minutes, unless there's overtime or less like today, make sure you subscribe, share, review, kick it out to your friends, kick it out the links. All the links will be in the show notes, and we'll be back next week, same time, same channel, talking all things Pac-12 football. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.